When we last left our dinner party, Jesus had made things incredibly awkward. If you weren't here last week, we were looking at Luke chapter 11, where Jesus was invited into the home of a Pharisee, of one of the religious leaders, to have dinner. And before dinner, didn't, Jesus didn't go through the process of the ceremonial washing, and one of the Pharisees was very appalled. He couldn't believe that Jesus wouldn't take part in such an important ceremonial cleansing and such an important religious action before they ate their meal. And so Jesus took this as an opportunity to just unload and to let this Pharisee know everything that they were doing that was contrary to actual true religion that's honoring and glorifying to God. He accused them of being like dishes that were clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. And he said, you've done all this behavior modification. You do all these things to try to follow the rules as best you can so that everyone around you will think that you're doing everything right, but on the inside, you've neglected the things that really matter to God. You're drawing the attention to yourself instead of giving all glory to God. You're neglecting God's justice and mercy by not caring for those who are in need, but instead using all that God has given you to glorify yourself. And this had to have made all the other dinner guests very uncomfortable. And I don't know if you've ever been a guest at someone's house when an argument breaks out, but I have, and it is deeply, disturbingly awkward, especially if you, like me, are somewhat socially awkward anyway. When that breaks out, it is just so horrific. But now add on to the fact that these would have been other Pharisees and other religious leaders at this dinner. And Jesus is throwing down these gauntlets over and over saying, these are all the ways that you have messed up and that you aren't following God. And the conviction and maybe even the humiliation would have been enough to make me want to just crawl in a hole. But for a certain lawyer there in attendance, one of the scribes, he reacted somewhat differently. And in Luke eleven forty. Five, it says that one of the lawyers answered Jesus and said, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And maybe he thought, if I said this, if I just point out to Jesus, maybe he doesn't recognize that there are other people in the room and this could be hurting our feelings as well. And so maybe if I just tell Jesus, Hey, man, listen, these things you're saying are kind of harsh and maybe this guy deserves it, but we're here too and you are insulting us as well. And maybe he thought Jesus would have said, oh, my bad, man, I didn't know. I'm sorry, I'll stop talking now. But in fact, what this guy said is, hey, Jesus, could you please focus some attention directly on me and on the way that me and my people are neglecting the law of God as well? And it was Jesus who once said, ask and you shall receive. And while that might be a little out of context in this particular passage, that's exactly what happens. Because as this lawyer opens the door for Jesus to come in, that's exactly what happens as Jesus starts to rain down these woes on the lawyers and scribes, just like he was on the Pharisees. And so today we're going to look at the second part of this passage as Jesus gives the three woes to these lawyers, to these scribes who were experts in the law. 
And we're going to see again that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God by revealing to us the character of the enemies of God's kingdom. And then we're going to contrast what Jesus says about these lawyers and how they were treating other people and how they were keeping other people from coming into the kingdom. We're going to contrast that with a parable in Luke chapter 14. When Jesus tells us what it looks like when the servants of the kingdom, when the people of God go out and do the work they're called to do by taking the kingdom into the streets and making the kingdom more accessible to those who would come, not less. And so as we recognize the character of the enemies of the kingdom today, we need to learn how to conduct ourselves as ambassadors or servants of the kingdom when we go out to share the gospel message. Well, we're going to begin today in Luke chapter 11, verses 45 through 52. And it says, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he, Jesus, said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deed of your fathers, for they killed them, and you will build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you as we do always for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us and that you love us and that you care for us. And God, we thank you for this very unique passage. As Jesus calls out people who claim to be religious but neglected the important things of the law neglected to care for those who were in need. And instead of making it easier for people to come into a relationship with you, they sought to make it harder for their own purposes. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to never reflect the character of these enemies of the kingdom, but that we would be messengers of your kingdom, servants of your kingdom, and that we would seek after you in all that we do. And so, Father, speak to us through your word today, and we ask that you would be honored and glorified and lifted up in everything that happens. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So during Jesus' time, these lawyers were religious leaders. 
similar to the Pharisees, but had a much different occupation. Their job was to be experts in the law. And so they knew the law inside and out, and it was their job to not only know the law, but to interpret the law so that people could understand the law. And because they were experts in the law, and because the law was so crucial and so pivotal to the life of the Jewish people, these men found themselves in a place of power and privilege. And of course, just as we saw with the Pharisees last week, they did not use their position well. And so Jesus turns his attention from the Pharisees to the lawyers because he's given this really awkward invitation by this one lawyer who speaks on behalf of the others who I'm assuming were probably like, thank you, Ted. Thank you for turning all the attention on us. The Pharisees were taking all the heat, but no, Ted, you can't shut your mouth and you had to invite Jesus to talk about us as well. I don't know why his name is Ted. It just feels like a good lawyer name. And so Ted the lawyer opens the door for Jesus to turn all of his attention onto them. And the very first accusation, the very first woe that Jesus gives to these lawyers is this. In verse 46, he says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with one finger. Part of what the lawyers would do in an effort to keep the law pure or to make sure that the law would not be broken is they would interpret the laws that God had given the people and they would say, we need to really protect these laws so that no one would break them. And so through their interpretations, they would say, we're going to add some commandments around this. We're going to add some bubble wrap, some layers of protection around the law so that you would have to break so many commandments before you get to the law that it's almost impossible to break the actual law. And while they would claim that they were doing this to keep the law pure, what they were actually doing is just creating exclusivity. They were making sure that there were layers upon layers upon layers and hurdle after hurdle after hurdle that people would have to get through in order to actually be able to do what God was calling them to do. And so they were building fences to keep people away from a relationship with God. And I think we have to be aware of the fact that religious practices of any kind can be used to either bring people closer to God or keep them far away. And sometimes it can be easy, especially if you've grown up in a church context or if you've spent a lot of time inside the church, it can be very easy to forget that some of the things that we do can feel very foreign to people. That's why if you come here a lot, then you hear every week, he wasn't here today, but you hear every week, Drew, before our confession of sin, explain why we do the confession of sin. Because that's a very jarring thing to take place. It's something that we believe is important. And something that we believe can help us to go closer to God and also closer to one another. But we make sure to explain it almost ad nauseum so that we all know what's going on. And so hopefully we can take down these barriers and allow the things that we do in our service to help draw people closer to God and not to build barriers to give us some sort of sense of exclusivity. Jesus teaches us that God's commandments bring us freedom. 
We see over and over again Paul talking about a life connected with Christ as a life that sets us free and that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Jesus tells us that his burden is easy and that his yoke is light. And I might have got that mixed up, but it's the same basic idea that what Jesus puts on us is very light and his commandments are good for us and they draw us closer to God. But now Jesus looks in the face of these lawyers, of these religious leaders, And he said, I came to bring this kingdom that is free and accessible to all, and you are doing your best to try to make sure to keep people out. And so you are putting burden after burden after burden on these people, and it's too heavy for them to bear. And so instead of bringing them closer to God like you claim to be doing, what you're actually doing is pushing them further away. They were crushing people under the law, to protect the law. They were trying to protect the institution and their place inside of it instead of seeking to help the individual become closer to the God who loves them and serves them. They were using their privilege and their position to elevate themselves and to push others down. And what's even more amazing is that Jesus, as that verse continues, says that it's a burden that they put on the people, but they themselves didn't touch that burden with one finger. I've worked a lot of jobs that require manual labor. And in almost all of them, there's always at least one person who has this very unique spiritual gift. And in this spiritual gift that they have, they don't touch anything or do anything or carry anything, or usually sweat. But they're very good at telling you all the things that you should be doing better. And that's exactly what's happening here, just on a much deeper, more spiritual level. These lawyers are saying, here's all the things that you need to do to grow closer to God. Here's all the extra commandments, all the things that you need to pile on top of what God has given you, and you need to carry these burdens, and you need to work harder, and you need to do better, but we're good. I mean, we're the lawyers. We're the Pharisees. We're the religious leaders. We're the priests. We're the people. We're on the inside. We've already arrived. All these things are for your benefit, but we, we're okay. And so Jesus says, you just keep heaping these burdens on these people, and it's more than they can bear, but you are somehow thinking that you are beyond the burdens that you place on others. He continues in verse 47. He says, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you built their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And so these religious leaders of the time would have considered themselves the torchbearers of the prophets that they were the ones bringing the word of God to the people, that they were the ones who were the example of what it looks like to be someone who follows after God. And so they would have exalted themselves to this position of modern day prophets. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you're not the prophets. 
You're just like your fathers. You're just like your ancestors who when the prophets came and spoke against their sin, instead of listening and repenting, they killed the prophets so that they could keep their sin. And you're doing the exact same thing. Your fathers killed the prophets and you're just building their tombs. And to maintain this facade, that they were okay, that they had arrived, that they were following after God. They had to make sure that no one else was wise enough to see it. And then this final woe, Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And this passage sounds a lot like a warning that Hosea gave. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, as Hosea, this prophet who is speaking to Israel because of their sin, he looks at the people, and in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 4, he says, You shall stumble by day. The prophet shall also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And now in the same way, Jesus looks at the people who are supposed to be religious leaders, who are supposed to be bringing people closer to God, and he says, you have destroyed my people because of a lack of knowledge. You've taken away the key of knowledge, and you yourself have not entered into the kingdom, and you have hindered those who were entering. You see, these lawyers were not only unable to enter the kingdom for themselves. But because of that, they were working diligently to keep others from coming to Christ as well. And sin and rebellion from God begins with a lack of knowledge of God. And it's the role and the responsibility of the Pharisees and of these lawyers at this time to teach people about who God is and to lead them into a right relationship with God. But instead, they had built their own kingdom, they had built their own religion, and they were trying to lead people into that instead. They knew of God, but they didn't know God. Jesus was right in front of their face saying, this is who I am and this is the kingdom of God that you've been waiting for. But they looked past Christ to their own end and their own gains. And instead of using their position to seek after true salvation, they used their position to rob others of it as well. But it's easy to see how this happens. Because being on the inside of something makes it easy to want to protect it, to keep it pure, because we can start to believe that we've earned it. And that's what was happening for the lawyers. They had arrived on the inside. They were the elite of the elite. They were looked at as the examples to be followed. And so they felt like they had earned their position there, that they had arrived. And if too many people came in, or if it was too easy for others to follow, then the purity and the integrity of what they've built would fall apart. But as we've seen Jesus teach all through the book of Luke, the kingdom of God is free and the burden is light. And anyone who would add to the requirements of the kingdom to keep others out does not belong to it. That goes for the lawyers, and that goes for any one of us today who would look at what we have as the church and say things are really good like they are, and so we need to protect it. 
Because the reality is that God doesn't call us to guard the kingdom. God doesn't call us to protect the church. God is going to do that, and God is more than capable of handling that responsibility. It is our calling to see the kingdom and to see the church grow by going out and telling those around us about the good news of the grace and mercy of Christ. It's our job to go out and to serve those who are in need, to go out and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to go out and put the word of Christ into our mouths and into our hands and into our feet and to do what God has called us to do, to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to lead people to know the God who loves them. That's who we're called to be. Not like these lawyers who were building fences and putting burdens that were too hard to bear, but to take this good kingdom that Christ has given us and go out and take that message to the world around us. And so to teach us what that really looks like, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. And this is one of my favorite parables that Jesus teaches because it's very easy to see ourselves in this passage. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, when we contrast this with what's happening as Jesus is sitting in Luke 11 in the house of this Pharisee, it's very easy to see the correlation. Because in this story, like Jesus' ministry, the obvious choice had no interest in the invitation into the kingdom. Jesus comes and he teaches about the kingdom and these Pharisees and these scribes and lawyers, they hear Jesus teaching about the kingdom and they say, listen, it's nice everything that you're saying, but I've got my own thing going on and so I don't need what you came to bring. And so instead, the master goes to his servant with a very strange invitation. Because he says the wedding, is it's going to happen. The banquet is going to happen. But we need some guests. And so I want you to go out into the unexpected places. I want you to go out into the streets and into the alleyways. And I want you to find the poor and the oppressed and the crippled and the sick and the broken. And I want you to invite them in to come and be a part of this great banquet like something they would have never experienced before. 
And so in verse 21, that's exactly what the servant does. He goes out into the streets and he finds the people who have been overlooked their entire lives and he calls in the unworthy and the unqualified and because of the invitation, the master makes them worthy and qualified to come into the banquet. And the servant looks around and he says, I did exactly what you said. All the people from the streets, they're here now. All the people who were poor and broken, they are at your banquet. But there's still room. And the master says, good. Go further. Go beyond the streets and the lanes. Go outside the city to the people who have been rejected and outcasts. Go and find them where they are and bring them in because I have plenty of room because none of these obvious choices are going to get to taste anything from my banquet. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a similar parable about a wedding feast. But in this particular story, Jesus is even a little more intense. Because in this story, the people reject the invitation to come. But not only that, but they seize his servants and treat them shamefully and kill them. Which again, sounds a lot like the accusation Jesus makes about the lawyers and their ancestors who took the prophets and the apostles who brought the message of the truth of God to the people and they had them put to death. And in verse 7 of Matthew 22, in this wedding feast parable, Jesus says that the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And so we see here for the enemies of God, the penalty of rejecting the kingdom is a lot more than just not getting in. But then for those who would come, the reward is so much better than anything that could be imagined. And I love the wording here in Matthew's parable as the new invitation goes out. In verse 9, he says, Go therefore into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the road and gathered all whom they found, listen to this, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Again, we find that Christianity is the only faith, the only worldview, the only religion in the world that teaches us that bad people get to come into the reward of God. Because it's not about what we've done. It's not about who we are. It's not about the things that we've accomplished. It's not about whether you are a lawyer or a tax collector or a prostitute or anything in between. All that matters to come into the kingdom of God, according to the parable of Matthew, is that you have the right clothes. And the Bible tells us that when we trust in Christ, that he changes our clothes for us. Then when we find that salvation in Jesus, he takes off our old dirty rags that are covered in sin and shame and brokenness, and he wraps us in the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to be a part of a socially elite group. You don't have to be like the Pharisees who were clean on the outside. You just have to trust in the God who can purify you from the inside out. And when he wraps you in those clothes, he welcomes you from no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, whether good or bad. He says, if you know me and you know my son, then you're welcomed in my house. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ before, that's the invitation that we receive from God. That even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, 
even though we have nothing good to offer God, even though we're clear all the way through the Bible that even if we wanted to and spent our entire lives trying to work hard enough to earn God's favor, we never could because our sin is just too great. Our clothes are just too dirty. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we're taught in Scripture that if we trust in Christ, if we believe in Christ and repent of our sins, then He comes and cleans us up on our behalf. That He makes what's dead inside of us alive. That He takes that sin and that shame and He cleans it by the blood of His Son who was perfect in every way, who died on the cross for our sin and was raised again to give us the hope of new life. And we are promised that once we trust in Christ, that is a once and for all thing and that God welcomes us into His kingdom. He welcomes us into His banquet and that He loves us as His sons and daughters. And so if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation before, if you've never been through the waters of baptism before, then please come and talk with me about what that means to trust in Christ and to be baptized and to have this life-changing, eternity-shaping relationship with Christ. If you're here and you have trusted in Christ, if you follow Jesus, if you know that gospel truth and that that's been applied to your life through the power of Christ, then we have to remember that our master is throwing a party and that we are the ones responsible to go out and to take that invitation to the world. And we need to heed the warning against the lawyers to not ever feel like we've arrived or that we're part of some sort of exclusive club and it's our responsibility to keep it nice and clean and pure. We have to remember that God reached into the streets, that God reached into the alleyways to find every single one of us because we were all dead in our sins and trespasses, that God had to come to us to become one of us for us to save us and that our lives and that our efforts to go out into the world and share the gospel should reflect him, not them. That we should use our lives, our position, our knowledge of the truth about what God has given us, the beautiful gospel that God has changed our lives with. We should use all of those things to make the kingdom more accessible, not less. We serve an incarnational God. The God of the universe that spoke everything into being. The God who cannot be seen. The God who is bigger than we can imagine. The God who, as Lydia sang with the kids a couple weeks ago at Backyard Bible Club, has the whole world in his hands. That God loved us enough to become one of us for us. To put on flesh and blood. To put on weakness. As Paul said that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant to bring us salvation. To reach down to us because we couldn't reach up to him. And so it is our responsibility as his followers to be incarnational people. To leave this place every Sunday with the mission on our hearts and on our minds. That we have to go out wherever God gives us the opportunity whether it's in our homes, in our work, in our schools, in the alleyways, in the places that we go, in the places that are very unexpected, in the places that no one else would be willing to go. It's our calling and our responsibility to go to those places with the gospel on our lips, telling everyone who will hear us about the love that God has for his people and his son who gave everything so that we could have salvation to make it plain and to make it clear and then to go out and through our good works and through the way that we love and the way that we serve show other people the God that we serve so that the kingdom will be more accessible not less
so that we will reflect not the enemies of the kingdom, but the king of the kingdom. And so we have a clear mission. In Jesus' parable here, we are the servants that the master sends out to go and to reach those both good and bad. The poor, the oppressed, the broken, and the afflicted, that is our mission field, and they are all around us. Sometimes it's very visible and obvious. Sometimes it's not. But we live in a world filled with hurt and brokenness, both spiritual and physical. And we've been given the gift through the gospel to go out and to make a difference in the world, and most importantly, to make a difference for the kingdom that will echo through all eternity. And so let's do that by reflecting our king and sharing his kingdom.